First Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. That's an amazing thing, that even those that oppose you could very well be in that position by the will and the hand of God. How can that be? That people that would oppose us could be directed by the hand of God. Well, the Bible gives us an example of that when it said that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. In other words, that opposition that the children of Israel found and felt themselves in when they were in captivity in Egypt, they had a Pharaoh whose heart was hardened about their departure. And it was by the plan and the hand of God because the Lord wanted to do those miracles. We may be in an adverse environment today, but guess what? It's not by accident. God is preparing us for something beautiful, something wonderful. Verse 9, but ye, I'm thankful for this transition in scripture, but ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood and holy nation a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy oh what a great God we serve I want to speak this morning on this subject made for this moment made for this moment you may be seated thank you for standing the context of this scripture is unique first of all because it comes from the pen of Peter the great spokesman of the apostles, the one who was so mightily used of God. But if we were to look at his life, we would have to agree that unlike Paul, his ministry was geared more for the Jews, Jerusalem, surrounding areas. Although God did give him division when he was at Simon's house in the little seaside village of Joppa that he should go to the Gentiles and of course he went to Cornelius's house at the invitation of some of Cornelius's staff. Cornelius was a Roman centurion and there he saw those those Gentiles of the Italian band, how the book of Acts describes it, 
Gentiles being anyone who's not a Jew. He saw them receive the Holy Ghost. He saw them speak in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And he asked those Jews that went with him, he said, can we forbid them to be baptized who have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And of course they could not. And so they were all baptized in Jesus' name. But even with that revelation, Paul tells us about having gone back to Jerusalem and having to withstand Peter face to face, most of it to do with what should be required of the church. Should those things that the Jews had interpreted from the law be applied to the Gentiles? And we see Peter really representing the cause of the Jews. And of course, Paul representing the cause of the Gentiles. But yet when we read this verse, we see that Peter is making a point to describe how important the Gentiles are. He says, because ye are lively stones, you've built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. He's referring here to the Gentiles. You are lively stones because of your worship. Because of your passion and your commitment. There is a, a grafting in, as it were, of the Gentiles into this holy priesthood. That they were chosen of God. They were acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to give the example of Jesus being that chief cornerstone who was elect and precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. He goes on to say, if you believed on Jesus, it's precious. But then he sort of juxtaposes that with the Jews who rejected Jesus. And he said, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallow, the same is made the head of the corner. In other words, God's going to be God whether you believe in him or not. I used to remember seeing bumper stickers that said, Jesus said it, and I believe it. That settles it. And I thought that sounded pretty good until I saw another bumper sticker that said, Jesus said it, that settles it. I said, I like that one even better. You and I are given the free will to believe what we want to believe, but what we believe or don't believe doesn't change truth. Amen. God is truth all by Himself. He doesn't need a jury to agree with Him. He doesn't need a human race to agree with Him. He's elect. He's precious all by Himself. He was still the head of the corner even though the Jews rejected Him. But it says they were also appointed. But He says, you are a chosen generation. This is the unique aspect of this. You are a chosen. He's speaking here specifically to the Gentiles. A royal priesthood. And holy nation. A peculiar people. Here's why. That ye should show forth the praises of Him. That have called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Oh my friend, we were made for this moment. To give Him praise in spite of every situation and circumstance. To be lively stones. 
Why do we praise Him? Because in time past, we were not a people, but are now the people of God. Oh, hallelujah. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity, but we have obtained mercy. That's why we give God praise and glory. Not because we think we're better than everybody else, but we're so thankful that God has allowed us to be a part. And it shows how the Jews and Gentiles are coming together. The bottom line from these verses is that people who were from two totally different walks of life were still a part of the chosen generation. Even the Jews that rejected Him were a part of the chosen generation. Even the ones that received Him as lively stones were a part of a chosen generation. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe uh, that we are part of the chosen generation of God. And even though we all come from different backgrounds and different races and, and different religious backgrounds, God loves and all of us and draws all of us together to make us a part of a chosen generation. Oh, hallelujah. I'm glad about that. I'm glad that everybody's not like me. I'm glad that not everybody's like you. I'm glad that God, God's love, it's, it spreads out throughout all the world. But let's examine this word peculiar for just a moment. The word peculiar means unusual. Uncommon, particular, special, or unique. We live in a world of peculiar people, and yet peculiar is not really a description that we seek. We think of peculiar as something to avoid, something to shun. I have friends that are very gifted and talented, and their gifting sets them apart. But if you were to talk to them, they would tell you more than anything. They just want to fit in. In fact, I was talking to a young man recently that was raised in this church that's been blessed beyond his wildest imagination. He said, I feel like sometimes my blessings are a curse because of the responsibility that goes with it. I couldn't figure out how you could be blessed so much that you would think it was a curse. Apparently, I haven't reached that graduated state of blessings yet. I'm still thankful. I get up every day and I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I woke up, for one thing. Amen. We got a lot to be thankful for. But it is part of our human psyche to want to homogenize with our surroundings. But oh, my friend, the world has been shaped and transformed by peculiar people. By people like Albert Einstein and, and Stephen Jobs and Martin Luther King Jr. and Elon Musk. All of them peculiar, but they are willing to challenge the status quo. People who are comfortable asking, why not? I'm thankful for these people. They're interesting. They are unique, but they change the world around them. No one has been more of a cultural transformer than Jesus. He challenged all the norms. He was peculiar. He was unique. He challenged their rituals and their interpretation of the law. His distinctiveness made a difference. His power was unprecedented. His uniqueness was unmatched. But He set the example for each one of us. that it's okay if we're not like everybody else. We were made for this moment. We were created with a divine purpose and calling. We're not supposed to be like everybody else. 
Not only was Jesus one of a kind, He was commissioned for that culture. He was created for that crisis. you got to realize that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, He came into a world that was in the midst of crisis. The Roman government, the Roman forces and army had marched throughout the then known world and they had left garrison of soldiers in all of these conquered nations and there was high taxes and tariffs and and there was a a tremendous uh intimidation process which is why they they uh they 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 crucified people the most harsh of all ways of of taking a life uh because they ruled with such an iron fist and they recruited people of of their own nationality to be tax collectors. And those people were, were so hated by their, their fellow mankind, which is, which we see of Matthew and Zacchaeus and others in scripture that fulfilled that role. The, the Roman government would, uh, compensate them handsomely, but there was that, uh, uh, ridicule, that stigma of them betraying their own people for the Roman government. And so there were all of these uprisings, there were these zealots, and there was all of this chaos and crisis. It was in that environment that Jesus was born. It was not by accident that He came to the world at such a time as that. Because He came with a message, and the message was not of overthrowing human government. The message was not to overthrow nations and nationalities. The message was that He had come to build up a spiritual kingdom. To remind all of us more than 2,000 years later that nations are going to come and go. But there is a kingdom that every one of us are striving for. Oh, hallelujah. And the greatest thing you can do with your life is to tell people there is a hope that is beyond this world. There is a salvation that is beyond this life. I rise today to proclaim to these graduates and to each and every one of us the divine destiny of a person is not determined by his or her popularity. It is determined by their purpose. You were made for this moment. You were gifted for this generation. You are a chosen generation. In other words, you are here on purpose. You are living uh, for this marker in time. You are not here by some cosmic coincidence. Uh, you are here by design. Uh, God created you and gifted you, uh, not for your own comfort, but He gave you what you have for this moment in time. You were chosen. You were handpicked. It was on purpose. The chosen generation is not a select group of people. It's a generation of people that respond to the call of Calvary. You have been exposed to the truth. To be able to recognize the truth. So that you can see when there's chaos around you. And you can compare it back to this unadulterated truth in written form. And you can see that if it doesn't square with this book, it's not right. Doesn't matter how many or who believes a lie, a lie is still a lie. Oh, but we can recognize truth because we've got the Word of God in our hearts. We know about the presence of God. We know about the divine power of God. We know we're not just going through the motion. We are here by design. And we have been created for such a time as this. 
The definition of sanity according to the McLaughlin rule in criminal law is that you cannot tell the difference between right and wrong. The definition of spiritual insanity is the same. You can't tell the difference between right and wrong. Oh, but for you and I, we were made for this moment. Because we have the Word of God to give us a definition of what truth is. And everything that doesn't square with the Word of God is going to come down. I don't care if your whole school believes a lie, it's still a lie. I don't care if every place you work, uh, if it's all built on a lie, it's going to come down. It doesn't matter if it's a, 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 a school, it doesn't matter if it's a workplace, it doesn't matter if it's a government. It doesn't matter if it's a philosophy of this world. Everything's going to come down except the Word of God. You and I know what truth is. We were made for this moment to be those that would declare truth, to be those that would stand up in a hostile environment and say what thus saith the Word of God. You were made for this moment. You have been given a treasure in earthen vessels. The Bible says that we are made from the dust of the earth. We are earthen vessels. We are aware of our own faults, our own mistakes, our shortcomings. Sometimes when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we can't even stand to see what we're looking at. Because we're reminded of everything that we've done that's been wrong. We're reminded of all the flaws, all the mistakes, all the shortcomings. And if that wasn't enough, there's a pile-on effect from the enemy. Because the Bible said he's an accuser of the brethren. To remind you and to try to convince you that you don't belong down there at that East Wind Church. You go down there and lift your hands and worship God, you're nothing but a hypocrite. Wants to try to convince you that you don't have a place in the family of God. I've come to tell you that the devil is a liar and the father of liars. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a peculiar people. You have been set aside for such a time as this. This is our day. This is our hour. This is the time for the church to rise up and declare the promises and the principles of God's Word. Yes, we are earthen vessels. But we are earthen vessels that contain a treasure. And that treasure is the purpose and calling of God. That treasure is the outpouring of His Spirit. I've come to tell you today that you have good in you. You have a purpose. You have a calling. You were made for this moment. Mordecai got word of the impending Holocaust and abandoned all pretense. We pick up the narrative in Esther 4. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry and came even before the king's gate for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. News of the forthcoming extermination of the Jews at the hands of the king's chief henchman Haman. It drove Mordecai into a state of anguish. He wardrobed himself in coarse cloth and smeared his face with soot and ashes. He roamed the streets of Susa crying, screaming, 
and beaten his chest. I'm sure that was peculiar. I'm sure that was unusual. Store owners turned and watched. What a spectacle. This is Mordecai. He is known for his importance to the queen, a courier in the gate, yet Mordecai breached all decorum. Even Esther was embarrassed by it and a little upset. She sent him clothes and told him in no uncertain terms to quit throwing a fit. Apparently she was unaware of the recent law that would make it legal to exterminate the Jews in Persia. That ought to be an example to you and I that every one of us can fall suspect to an ivory tower mentality. That because we are inoculated here in the house of God, in the presence of God, we forget about the pain. We forget about people that are dying every day, that are desperate for help. Are we just going to sit in our concaves of comfort and enjoy the presence of God? Is somebody going to stand up and declare to a lost and dying world, there is hope, there is love, there is a God that cares about you. After Mordecai sent the extermination orders to the queen so she could read it, she countered what a lot of us do in our humanity, that she could not just go into the king's presence unannounced and ask him to change the law. In other words, I recognize this is an emergency. I recognize that we're in dire straits. But what can I do about it? We're not careful. That will be the same thought process that each and every one of us have. Yes, I know the world is struggling. Yes, I know we're in a hostile environment. Yes, I know it's getting worse and worse. But what can we do about it? I'll tell you what you can do about it. You can witness to your co-worker. You can witness to your fellow student at school. You can share the gospel with somebody in line at Walmart. Come on, somebody. Mm. Mordecai responded with some of the most profound words ever recorded in history. He made a declaration that reveals the heart of a person who has encountered the heart of a holy God. Verse 13, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Oh, Esther, you were made queen for this moment. You were not blessed and promoted for your own pleasure. You didn't hit the genetic jackpot for your own comfort. You were blessed and gifted for this moment. How did Mordecai go from mourning in the streets to declaring that relief and deliverance would arise for the Jews just 13 verses later? If you don't step up, Esther, someone else will. But make no mistake, this is not the end. This is a moment. This is your moment. What happened to Mordecai? How did he go from desperate to bold? I believe that God awakened some faith in him. 
Maybe on Mordecai's mama's knee, he'd been told how Moses and a million Hebrews had an angry sea on one side and an angry Pharaoh on the other. Maybe he had been told as a boy how a shepherd boy stood waist high with a giant named Goliath. Or maybe he had heard how Daniel could hear the growling of the lions and the growling of their tummies. But then God spoke up, the sea opened up, David rose up, and the lions shut up. Good God Almighty. You go ahead and mark time if you want to. But I believe that this is the hour of the church. God's going to have a people. God's going to get a praise. It's just a matter of whether you and I are going to be a part of it. I say to this great church of believers, you are made for this moment. You were created to be a lively stone and to worship God. Jesus. The Jews were far from Jerusalem, but they were not far from God. Somehow Esther begins to send orders and marshal her courage. She orders the Jews to assemble in Susa for a public fast. Resolve replaces passivity. She's no longer the beauty queen. She's a woman of God. Determined to lead her people through a crisis. She went from, there's nothing I can do, to if I perish, I perish. Why was there such a dramatic change? I believe it was the straightforward message from Mordecai. You're here for a reason. Your life is part of a plan. You were placed here on purpose for a purpose. The question, Esther, is not will God prevail? The question is not, will the Jews survive? If it doesn't come from you, it'll come from somebody else. The only question before us today is, will you and I be a part of it? I say for me and my house, I will exalt the name of the Lord. I say for me and my house, this is the hour. This is the moment. No doubt David got tired of the rejection even from his own family. Never really accepted by his brothers. Different from everybody else. Never even really acknowledged by his father. By himself out in the wilderness. Out there with the sheep. He'd been out there for so long they just considered him to be part of the livestock. But the rejection prepared him for the reception. Because God keeps good books. And if man gives you accolades, you've already received your reward. But there's some of you, God's got something mightily prepared for you. You say, I'm tired of being alone. No doubt David got tired of being alone in the wilderness with the flock, hitting marks with the fling of his little swing out there just target practicing, throwing a rock at a tumbleweed, slinging those rocks and imaginary targets. No doubt he got tired of the solitude, but the solitude prepared him for the stage.
crisis prepared him for the crown. The pain prepared him for the promise. Because eventually a lion and a bear came. And he took them out because he'd had so much time out there practicing. And he was doing more than target practicing with his sling. He was out there writing songs and worshiping the Lord. He was a lively stone to the point that they described Jesus as the son of David. Woo! Because he had become a lively stone. I've come to tell somebody, it doesn't matter what environment you're in, God's more concerned about your character than He is your comfort. He's more concerned about your salvation than your station in life at this point in time. But God is preparing you for something. You've got some rough edges, but you're still on the potter's wheel. And God is going to make a vessel of honor and an instrument of praise. You were made for such a time as this. Daniel and the three Hebrew children pulled out of their country, not unlike Esther, brought into captivity. We pick up the narrative in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 3, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge, mastered their SATs, understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, had manners, professionalism, in whom, here's why they brought them in, in whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Yeah, we're going to give you scholarships. We want you to go to the best universities that America has to offer. We acknowledge that you are gifted, but we're going to teach you our philosophies. We want you to homogenize into our way of thinking. I say to every apostolic young person that's been raised in Bible quizzing, that's been raised in the house of God, in the presence of God. You weren't gifted with all of that so that you can go off to a university and become a heathen like everybody else. You were made for this moment. Oh, I feel the boldness of the Holy Ghost. Yes, they want you to learn the tongue of the Chaldeans, but there's going to be some Daniels that stand up and say, I'm still going to pray three times a day. I'm not going to sell my identity. I was made for this moment. Come on, young people. you got to stand up and declare who you are for God. king mixed in some of the Hebrew children with the princes. No doubt he was not expecting these poor little Hebrew orphans to show up the rest of the group. Daniel received a Persian name, Belteshazzar, but he was often referred to as Daniel. You know why? Because he never adopted the identity they tried to place on him. Daniel 1 verses 6 and 7. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah, 
of Shadrach and to Michelle of Meshach and to Azariah Abednego. Daniel became the prime minister of Persia under King Darius and Cyrus. The wise men that came from the east at the birth of Christ were magi, Persian scholars trained in astronomy in the ancient world. And no doubt they had studied the book of Daniel and prophesied about the Messiah. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Oh, my friend, was Daniel chosen or favored above the three Hebrew children or the other Jewish slaves merely because of his intelligence, of his excellence? He was part of a chosen group, but he excelled all of those that were in the chosen group. What was the key to Daniel's success? I believe it's found in verse 8. But Daniel purposed. Somebody say purposed. Another word is determined. He determined in his heart that he would not defile himself. I'm not taking on the identity of Babylon. I'm a child of God from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. You got to make up your mind that you're going to live above sin. I don't care if all my roommates live in sin. I'm not going to live in sin. I don't care if everybody in my class lives in sin. I'm not going to live in sin. I know it's not easy to think alone, to resist alone, to stand alone, especially when the crowd seems so right and so safe. But consider the reward. There's a reason why the winner's circle is seldom crowded. There's a reason why there's only one car on the track during the victory lap. This is why the Bible says, narrow is the way that leadeth to everlasting life. Daniel was determined. He prayed three times a day because he was determined. There's something to be said about just hanging in there. Stay in the course when everybody else is bailing out for the path of least resistance. You hang in there. Because you got a firm grip on this fact. You were made for this moment. Oh, you're going to have a fiery trial, no doubt. There's going to be a den of lions along the way. Even betrayal by your friends. Jealousy, envy, backbiting, ridicule. But I say today, keep on reaching. Keep on believing. Keep on praying. You were made for this moment. You were created for such a time as this. Would you stand to your feet? Jesus. Jesus. Come on, all over this place, would you fill this house with your voice? Come on, lively stones. Fill this place with your praise. Set your voice like a trumpet.
protesters. This is your moment. Is there any Davids in this crowd today that said, I'm going to keep on worshiping God, even though I've been hurt, even though I've been wounded? Anybody in this building believe you're part of a chosen generation? Come on, peculiar people. Come on, God's special forces. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. You were called for such a time as this. Come on, ma'am. Come on, sir. This is your moment. What will you do with it? <laughs>